Welcome to week four of the Verified Series podcast, where we dive deeper into the content from Sunday's message. This week, we have Nate Miller, our Webster campus pastor, joining us. Thanks for being here, Nate. Yes, great to be here. My name's Courtney, and this is the Verified Series podcast. So, Nate, you're our Webster campus pastor. Um, Got to take this opportunity to give a shout out to our Webster peeps. Yeah, shout out Webster. All right. So those who don't know you well, um, or for those who don't know you well, could you share a fun fact with us about yourself? What might most people not know about you? Sure. Yeah. Fun fact about me, not many people know, is I was actually a housekeeping maid for an entire summer. I legit cleaned hotel rooms uh, for an entire summer. So now I did in Yellowstone National Park. Okay. I worked uh, in in the park at the Old Faithful Inn and Lodge for the whole summer. And okay. So yeah, I was I, I cleaned hotel rooms there, and uh, let's just say I was more about efficiency than quality. Okay. So I found the fastest way to clean those hotel rooms because the quicker I was done, the quicker I could get outside, go fly fishing, go backpacking, go camping. And so yeah, I had I had some pretty cool. Pretty cool tricks. In fact, when I would make beds, I, instead of walking around, I would legit like roll over the bed to the other side and then pull the sheet tight. <laughs> Rather and, than uh, taking the, you know, 12 steps to walk around Hey the man, bed. time. I, I was all about efficiency. Love it. So uh, yeah, I can miter a bed sheet like nobody's business. Wow. I'm really... I'm pretty good. It's impressive. (laughs) That's awesome. All right. Well, Nate, let's jump in. Um, On Sunday, you mentioned in your sermon how you wanted to go deeper into verses 1 through 6 of 1 John 4. Uh, What was it that you wanted us to know about this section of chapter 4 that you didn't get to talk about on Sunday? Yeah, sure. I just think there's a lot. There's some really important things that John unpacks for us here in these first six verses. In fact, he kind of actually does something he's actually already done um, earlier in the book of 1 John. Um, And he really kind of gives us a warning here. He did the same thing in chapter two. And that warning is, look, don't believe everything that you hear. So in other words, he's helping us and reminding us as followers of Christ that we need to be wise and that we need to be discerning. And we are going to hear things. There will be influences in this world that kind of are meant to distract us or deceive us, trick us, really kind of pull us off that purpose and focus of of following Jesus. In fact, he calls them false prophets here early in chapter four, that they carry actually the spirit or the belief um, of the Antichrist. Okay. And and so that comes from the Gnosticism that was happening in the church, right? Yeah. And that's, that's something mm-hmm. that Mark talked about in week one. Yeah. Mark talked about a lot about that in week one. And again, kind of this key indicator of, okay, who is a false teacher? What is this spirit of the Antichrist? It really comes down to, do they believe that Jesus is God? Like that, that is one of the foundational truths of Christianity that separate Christianity from every other world religion, every other philosophy, every other cult is what do people believe about Jesus, who he is, who he was? Do they believe he was God, fully God? And really what John is driving at is uh, the incarnation of Jesus. And I know that word incarnation can be a little tricky. It can be a little, it can feel a little bit intimidating, but really what the incarnation of Jesus means, incarnation literally means like in the flesh. So Jesus is God in the flesh. And so he was 100% God and he was 100% man. And really what John is pointing at is this spirit or belief that was pervasive in the early church of kind of not acknowledging the incarnation of Jesus, not acknowledging that Jesus was, in fact, fully God and fully, fully man. And look, the reality is, man, most people do not argue with whether Jesus existed. 
there is far too much evidence to know that Jesus actually did walk this earth. No one really argues with that. Really, the difference that separates Christianity from every other religion is, okay, was he just a man? Did he just do some good things? Was he a great teacher? Or no, he was actually, in fact, God in the flesh. And so John is just telling us, look, if you deny Jesus as the Son of God, that Jesus is God, you're a false prophet. And that that belief is the spirit of of the Antichrist. So we should be on alert for that. We shouldn't be surprised if we encounter people that believe that. Could you help us understand what false teaching might look like today in our culture? What, you know, what sort of filter would I want to sift things through or how can I be on the lookout for that? Yeah, good question. I think when we think of false teacher, um, a good way for us to think about that is, I guess I would say it would be the world of the cults today. So think about Mormonism, think about Jehovah Witnesses. I would imagine for many of us, we've had conversations or we've seen those people going door to door in our relationships or in our, our communities or in our in our developments. And we know that they're, you know, gonna be coming to our door. And maybe you've had conversations with them. And what's interesting is a Mormon or Jehovah Witness, they can sound a lot like a Christian. Their belief can sound very similar. And they can use similar language, but what's interesting is if you press in, they have very different definitions. And really, again, ultimately it comes down to who do they believe that Jesus was, who do they believe Jesus is. For example, Jehovah Witnesses, they would say or they believe that Jesus is God's only direct creation. Um, They would say, okay, Jesus, he's the firstborn of all creation. Um, And so they would say he is the son of God, that you'll hear them say that he is the son of God. But what's interesting, if you press into that, they believe that as a created being, he is not part of the Trinity. So even though they say he's the son of God, they would not equate Jesus to God. They would not say that Jesus is part of the Trinity. And so therefore, that's a false teaching. And we need to be careful when we have those conversations, even though it can sound similar, again, ultimately it comes down to what do they believe about Jesus? And um, I think, you know, John is urging us again to test some things. And I think there's two tests that we can always run. The first one is, does what I'm hearing line up with God's word? Now, hopefully as followers of Christ, we're reading God's word. We are studying God's word to be able to read a blog post, to read an article or a book and be able to line this up like, okay, is this line up with God's word? Does it not? So we're to test things through God's word, but then also to ultimately does what I'm hearing, does this person, does this believe, do they believe that Jesus is, is God? So that's kind of the warning that John is, again, urging us. Don't believe everything you hear, and we, are, we should test things. Well, you also spent some time pressing into what love is supposed to look like for us as Christians. You walked us through 1 Corinthians 13, and certainly this has been a theme all throughout 1 John. Uh, why do you think it's easy for us to lose sight of love or for us to fall short of the characteristics of the love that Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 13? Yeah, I, man, I just think it's so easy. I, I can even speak personally here. <laughs> like, It's so easy for me, I guess natural, even for us at, at times, just to sink into normal and status quo when it when it comes to the way that we treat, invest, and love other people. Mm-hmm. And you know, I said this in my message, man, love, it's easy to understand, but it is hard to live out because it involves time, it involves investment, and it involves people. And people can be hard to love. I mean, sure I'm hard, I'm hard to love. And <laughs> me so too. Um, I just think it can be so easy to just fall into normal, stagnant, because this is hard and it's challenging. And, and here's, what I, here's what I love about Jesus is that, um, you know, honestly, there's some things that Jesus says in the Gospels, like, I really am not sure what he's saying. 
Um, like when he talks about the parables and the kingdom of God and he compares it to all these different things, pearls and animals, fish and dead, dead fig trees. I mean, I'm not sure what he's saying. It, it can be confusing. Yes, it, sh- but, it sure can. <laughs> yeah, but every once in a while, Jesus is so clear. I mean, crystal clear. Um, in fact, our very same author, John, he actually records these words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, John 13, verse 34. And Jesus here, he's talking to his disciples, he gathers them together, and he's like, look, guys, there's a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus, he's crystal clear here. He's saying, look, you don't always have to be heard. You don't always have to be understood. Your ideas don't always have to be used. Um, you don't always have to understand, you don't always have to be right, but you have to love one another. Um, why is that? Well, that's, that's what's going to set us apart from the world around us. That's what's going to cause people to look at us and the way that we live and treat others and say, man, there is something different. And he goes on, Jesus goes on to say in verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Yeah, so so Jesus is saying that the way that we treat each other and the way that we treat people um, that are especially people that are different than us, um, that's going to be the hallmark of his movement and that we are followers of him. Yeah, it's foundational. It is central to um, what it means to follow Christ, central to Christianity. And it's not optional. Like we don't get to choose do we love or do we not love and who do we love. No, it is it is foundational. It is. I like how you said that. It is the hallmark of his movement that that should be true of us as followers of Christ. So speaking of love, uh, Nate, on Sunday you mentioned that there are four different words for love used in the Greek language, like compared to, you know, we just have our one word love in the English in the English language. Um, are you able to talk about those a little bit? Yeah, this is one of the things that um, is so fascinating to me about the Greek language and the English language that sometimes we can, we can miss. And I talked a little bit about this as it relates to agape love, which is the love that John uses. Um, all throughout First John chapter four, but yes, there are. There's actually four different words in the Greek language that that they use to describe different kinds of love um, versus the one that we have in the English language, which is leads to a lot of the confusion behind what do we really mean when we say we love something or when we love someone. And so, yeah, though, just a brief overview of what those four Greek words are. The first one would be eros. And that is actually where we get the English word erotic. So this is what I would call bachelor love. You know, I joked about that on Sunday, but that is like the feeling-oriented, emotion-driven, mushy-gushy, I guess you could say, kind of love. It's tied to physical attraction. So that's eros love. Um, But then the second uh, word for love that the Greek language uses would be storgy. storgy. And this is more of... A natural kind of family kind of love. This refers kind of like the love you would have for one of your kids, Courtney, or the, the love that I would have for for one of my kids. I would call it that's family love. The third one would be philia. Philia. Um, in fact, this is kind of where we get the word. Well, it's not kind of. This is where we we get the words philosophy or philanthropy. Like the root word actually comes from this Greek word for love. A love of wisdom, that's philosophy, that's that Greek word philia, a philanthropy, which is the love of your fellow man. Um, again, that philia is at the beginning of that word. And so this work just kind of speaks to a warm affection that you would share between friends. So I would call it um, friend love. Um, and then lastly, we have agape, which I talked about um, quite a bit on Sunday. That is that self-sacrificing love. This is a love that 
man, moves people to action. The root of it is not tied to emotion. The root of it is tied to will. I am going to love you, serve you, put your needs before my own. Even when I don't feel like doing it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be generous. I'm going to be self-sacrificing. But, uh, but those are the four types of love. You have eros, you have storgy, you have philia, and then you have agape love. Okay. And so John's use of the word agape certainly then means so much more than how much I love my popcorn or my coffee. That sounds like that would be more like philajava, <laughs> something like that. Yes. Yes. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's why, that's why it's important for us to understand the word that John is using here. This isn't just some mushy, gushy, whatever. I mean, this is the deepest form of love that John is using here. It's also the very agape love. That is um, the word that Jesus uses more than any other um, uh, option that he could have used in the Greek language. He used agape love more than any other word for love. And uh, again, that's important for us to understand that because he's talking about that deep um, self-sacrificing love, a, a love that puts the needs of others before our our own. In fact, there's a great resource I would love to push for people to check out. C.S. Lewis, he's a well-known author um, within Christian circles. He wrote a book called The Four Loves. It's The Four Loves book, and he actually breaks down those four Greek words that we just talked about um, in a much deeper way, more profound way than I just did, but it's an excellent resource for anyone who would like to read and study up in the four, four different uses in the Greek language of love. Well, I'm definitely going to check out that book. Uh, thanks for the suggestion there. And I feel like that ties in really well to, you know, how you challenged us on Sunday morning to ask ourselves, you know, what does love require of me uh, to love the people around me and especially love the people around me that might not be so easy for me to love? Yeah, for sure. I think I know that that question is so challenging to me because if he's talking about agape love, and he is, the self-sacrificing love, and as we look at the list in 1 Corinthians 13... These aren't optional. Like they must characterize my life and the lives of those who are followers of Jesus. And so we got to regularly ask ourselves, what does love require of me as I head into this meeting? What does love require of me as I respond to my my child's disobedience? What does love r- require of me as I step into this um, meeting with my team? So it's it's foundational again to try to help us remember the hallmark of the Christian movement movement, and that is, man, how are we doing? at loving the people that God has placed around us. We hope you learned something new today. If anything we discussed sparked a question, we'd love to hear from you. There's a link in the show notes where you can submit your questions. And if you missed this week's message or would like to hear more, head to NorthridgeRochester.com. Join us next week when we sit down with Aaron Hickson again for our next episode. My name's Courtney, and thanks for listening to the Verified Series Podcast. Podcast.